chapter 8. This section that we are studying, I could describe it as something that is given to us in layers. And I'm going to describe it as having three layers. The first layer of chapter 8, we peeled back last week, and we are going to review that quickly in just a moment. Then we'll peel back the next two layers with an illustration that I hope will help us pack this up and take it to the house. So join me in reviewing what we did last week. Number one, for if the first covenant had been faultless. That's what is said to us in Hebrews 8, verse 7. In other words, if this first covenant had nothing wrong with it, then there would not have been any need for the second. So we mentioned four things last week with an illustration about what was at fault in that old covenant and what it was intended to do. So we saw first, letter A, that it served as a copy. And we talked about how the old covenant was like an airplane simulator, how the person can get in and People could get on board and go through a virtual experience of flying, but never actually get anywhere. Jesus is the one who comes, and it's no longer a virtual experience. It's a true experience. And so he brings us into the fullness of salvation. We saw number two in in letter B, excuse me, that it was external. And we talked about that. We saw in the first verses of chapter 8 how it was a copy. We saw later in chapter 9 that it was external. Let me give you those verses again for letter A. It was verses 1 through 5 of chapter 8. For letter B, it was found in chapter 9, verse 10, that it was external. We also saw in letter C that it was ineffectual, for changing the heart. We learned about that in chapter 9, verse 9. We learned about it in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And then we learned in letter D that it was instructional. There was a lesson behind the law that was really important for us. So we did all of that and peeled back the first layer of Hebrews chapter 8. Kind of went home going, okay, I think I'm getting that old covenant. I had several folks either by uh, text or email or just by mention of a word. I think most of it was just verbal. Uh, Hey, I think I got that um, as a result of that illustration. So today what I want to do is add another layer of illustration. And as I shared with you last week, Anytime we use an illustration, all illustrations are imperfect because they're examples of a greater reality. But I want to take you to an illustration this morning. Uh, Daniel, click the slide one, two times. Let's look at the screen. Um, There are a few of you who know what we're looking at. There's a few of you that know exactly what we're looking at. Some of you don't. You don't have a clue. But some of you do. And some of you are going, whoa, I remember this. What this is, is it is a zoom in of a cardiac catheterization. 
How many of you have ever had to have a cardiac catheterization? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Pretty good number, okay? That's a pretty big deal. Uh, after the cardiac catheterization, the doctor wakes you up and talks with you and your family, and he says, I need to show you something. Now, you're hoping he's going to show you something that's all clear, but this one's not all clear. You know what that red circle is? That's a blockage. What that is is a heart attack waiting to happen. Little piece of plaque, little piece of blood clot hits that, and what you have is a myocardial infarction. You have a heart attack, and you're going to be in serious trouble. Now, what's interesting is that this is a great picture of the law. Here is what the law can do. The law can take a photograph of your heart and reveal it to you. It can tell you what is wrong on the inside of you. How do I know that? Come to Hebrews chapter 4 and look at the cardiac catheterization that goes on by the Word of God, by the law, by the teaching, the proclaiming of God's truth to mankind. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. Come all the way down to verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. What the law served as was this. The law served as a diagnostic tool. It was a spiritual cardiac catheterization where the law revealed the truth of the condition of mankind's heart. But listen, that doesn't fix anything. Nobody is fixed by having a cardiac catheterization. It doesn't fix anything. Something after this information has to be done to restore a person to health. Now, this particular one, the man had to have bypass surgery. Stents wouldn't work. Medicine wouldn't work. He had to actually have what some of you've had. The chest cracked open, go in, pull that heart out, and go to work on it. That's crazy. This is a diagnostic tool. The law was a diagnostic tool. And what it did was it revealed the condition of men and women's heart. It showed where the problem was. It revealed, but it didn't fix. Now, some of you who've had a cardiac catheterization and have had open heart surgery remembered a period of time between the cardiac catheterization and the surgery where they did the cardiac cath, 
They said, we're going to send you home for X number of days. You've got to get off certain medicines. You've got to take certain medicines. And during those days, here's what you need to do. Nothing! If you go run uh, the Boston Marathon, if you go run a 5K in Alexandria with this, you are a dead man or a dead woman. Don't do it. So they gave you specific instructions of how to conduct your life to live and not die between the moment of diagnosis and the day of surgery. The law and all of its mechanisms, all of its rules, were how Israel was to live and not die before the Messiah arrived. The law was a diagnostic tool and its rules and regulations said, do this and live. So they had to believe the doctor that gave them the diagnosis and go and live the way that the doctor said to live so that they did not die before the period of time when the surgeon would come and change men's hearts. And if they would live under these rules by faith in the one who diagnosed and gave them the rules, they would be saved. And if they would not, they would be lost. So when we come to understand the law, come with me to... Hebrews 9, and listen to one verse that almost perfectly sums up what I'm trying to say with this cardiac catheterization, diagnosis, waiting period, and surgery. Hebrews chapter 9. I really need to read a good bit here. Um, I think I can pick up at verse 8. Maybe not, not as much as I thought. Verse 8. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed. Now, let me fill in the blank there. The reason the curtain stayed closed in the Holy of Holies. You've got two courts inside the temple. You've got the holy place. You've got the most holy place. In the most holy place is the presence of God. It's the Ark of the Covenant. The glory that overshadows the ark because the glory of God dwells there. And then you've got a curtain closed and only one man one time a year can ever enter there. And that entering never opened the curtain to other people. The curtain stayed closed because the way to God was not yet revealed. That would be revealed in Jesus. So that's what's being said here. He says there, verse Eight, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. What happened on the day of the crucifixion to the curtain in the temple? It says the veil was torn. So the way into the holy place was revealed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is the way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the way was opened. Look in verse 8 again. 
The Holy Spirit is signifying that this way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which, verse 9, is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Can't change his heart. Stop. It can't do anything about this. It can only show this. It can't fix our hearts. It can only tell us our hearts are crooked, dead, sinful, wicked. All of the words that are used in the Old Testament and New Testament to describe our hearts. So it can't fix us. But what does he say? Listen, this is great. Which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Verse 10. Since they only relate to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. You get the diagnosis and the doctor says, here's how to behave until the surgery. If you behave this way, you will live. And if you do not, you will die. So all of the period from the giving of the law until the sacrifice of Jesus was the period between the initial heart catheterization of Israel to show them their hearts and each man and woman, boy and girl, as they grew up under that law, it was revealed to them, if it was properly taught to them, that their hearts were dead in trespasses and sins and they needed a new heart. And then the time of reformation, the day of heart surgery was when? It was on the crucifixion of Jesus. It was on that day that it was made possible for the new covenant. Now, I need to take you through some Old Testament language real quick. And we're going to move swiftly through it, but join me. Let's run through it, starting in Deuteronomy. We're going to hit four, five, we're going to hit six places real quick. And I know that this will be a run through, but, but here we need to do this to pick up on the language. Deuteronomy 29 and then Deuteronomy 30. And I want you, as we read this, to look for one word that ties all these passages together. Okay, so what are we looking for? One word that ties all these passages together. Okay, we start Deuteronomy 29. Here we go. Let's read them. It'll take me a minute to get there. Okay, verse 2. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Deuteronomy 29.2, You've seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all of his servants, all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. Okay, chapter 30. New covenant language again. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. Okay, now let's go to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to go to 31. Verse 33. Now, this is the passage that is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 8 that we're reading through. This is the direct quote, but I want you to see it in its setting. Jeremiah 31, 33. 
But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now to Ezekiel. We're going to hit two spots in Ezekiel starting in verse 11. I mean, chapter 11, excuse me. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now, the context of every one of these passages I'm reading is the new covenant promise. Verse 19 of chapter 11, And I shall give them one heart, and I and shall I shall put a new spirit within them, and I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. Okay, now let's go to Ezekiel 36. Another prophecy promise of the new covenant. Ezekiel 36. Verse 26. Again, the hope of the new covenant after the exile. Verse 26 of chapter 36 of Ezekiel. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Okay. What word was in all of those passages? The word heart. The law is a diagnostic tool. It zooms inside each of us and it says, this is what is wrong with you. But the rules can't fix us. The period of time until the Reformation that is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 9 is the period of time from the giving of the law and the diagnostic work of God in every heart of the Israelites who grew up under the law. It is the time from the diagnostic moment until the time that the heart can be changed by the Messiah in the new covenant. These passages spoke of things like not having a heart to understand having a heart circumcised to make it once again sensitive to God, having a heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, having an old heart replaced with a new heart, having a heart that has the law written upon it rather than on an external place. All of these are new covenant promises and all of these explain to us that the diagnostic work of the law does not save us. It simply, from the moment of diagnosis to the time of heart change, tells us by faith in what the doctor has said, you live this way and you will live. So, the law is a diagnostic tool with rules and regulations to sustain life by faith until the heart 
can be changed. Now we get into the second part. Go ahead, Daniel. Thank you. This is the section. There would have been no need for a second. If that first covenant could fix it, there would be no need for the second. If cardiac catheterization could have fixed that picture you saw, there would have been no need for heart surgery. This man had a blockage that was deadly. He had rules that he had to live under from the time that that diagnosis was given until the time of surgery. But that did not fix him. He needed surgery. He needed his chest opened and something done that he could not do to himself. That is the promise and hope of a new covenant. The new covenant is the surgical work of God on the dead unbelieving, sinful heart to give a new heart, new life, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life with it. So the promise, so let's peel off the second layer. The promise indicated the need for a new covenant. Look with me into verse 8 of Hebrews 8. We'll peel back these Next two layers. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. What does that say? What God is saying in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 31, He is saying the old covenant cannot save you. It cannot fix what is wrong at the core of your being. If it could, and Paul takes up this statement, so I want you to kind of join me and how intense this is. Paul said, if the cardiac catheterization of the Old Testament could save you, if your adjustments to morality in life could save you, if your obedience to rules and regulations could save you, Paul says in Galatians, then Jesus died in vain. The belief that your behavior, that your morals, that your righteousness could save you is a statement that you think Jesus died for nothing. Paul drives that home in the book of Galatians. So the fact that Moses in Deuteronomy, Ezekiel in his book, Jeremiah in his book, and vast other places told of the new heart, new covenant need, it explains that the old covenant is insufficient. Something had to come and change. So let's go to letter B. The promise indicated the nature of the new covenant. So let's look, looking at verse 9 and 10. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. So the promise says, not only do we need one, it says it's not going to be like the last one. 
It's going to be radically different. Totally different. It's not going to be like the one that they broke. It's going to be different. How's it going to be different? Well, you're going to see something here that's shocking. I want you to read carefully with me. You know, sometimes we read the Scriptures and we don't kind of ponder how, what it's actually stating to us. But I want you to grab hold of a phrase here that's just shocking. Verse 9. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And look at that last line. And I did not care for them. I want you to let that sink in a minute. The word that is used here for did not care for them means to neglect, to let alone, to leave aside. Here's God saying, in the old covenant, if they did not live by this precept that I gave them, there was a breaking point where I would let them go. And when do we see that? We see it in two places. We see it in 720 B.C. when the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians and all of the Israelites were hauled off from the northern kingdom into captivity, away from their land, God said, I'll let them go. I neglected them. Then in 586 B.C., a slaughter of proportions you and I cannot fathom came to Jerusalem where Nebuchadnezzar's army came in. The siege was such that God watched His people eat each other's babies. See, that covenant, I was a husband to them. They were a wife to me. But the book of Hosea tells that they left Him and prostituted themselves to other gods. So I let them have the consequences. They were in this period between the diagnosis and the surgery. And I said, live this way, the Lord says. Live this way and you shall live and see the day when all things will be set back right. They would not. So I let them have the consequences of their behavior. The old covenant, listen carefully, was breakable. There were stipulations in it that a person could enter it and exit it. And they would meet the consequences of their destiny. The new covenant is different. Look at what he says. Verse 9, not like the old covenant. Verse 10, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Something is happening here that didn't happen before. This covenant will be unbreakable. In the first covenant, you do these things, I will forsake you. New covenant, what are Jesus' words? I will never leave or forsake you. So in the old covenant, there's this break where the, the Spirit of God actually leaves from the temple. In Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom, fall. Corpses are everywhere. The covenant is broken and God says, no, I'm not finished. Let her see. The promise indicated the goal of the new covenant. What is that goal? It's a relationship. It's an unseverable, unchangeable relationship. It is a relationship that is stated in the last Two phrases of verse 10. I will be their God. And they will be my people. This time it can't be broken. This time it can't be changed. This time it can't fail. This covenant will be realized when all of the people of God are gathered around His throne. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I know in whom I have believed. And I am confident that He is able to keep that which I have entrusted to Him until that day. The new covenant promises are not like the old covenant. The old covenant said God holds up His end, you hold up your end. The new covenant says God holds up His end and God holds up your end. Because He puts something in you. He puts Himself inside of you to guarantee your delivery to His presence. And nothing can change it. And so here in the glory of this new covenant... We have the need for it, the nature of it, and the goal of it. What is the goal? To be with God. The reward of the gospel is not heaven. Heaven without God would be hellish. The goal of the gospel is to give you a perfect, permanent relationship with God that can never by fault or failure, be severed. It is perfectly permanent. So let's finish. Let's uncover the last layer that's in chapter 8. Let's go to number 3. For finding fault, he says. Okay, so here's God finding fault, both with the capacity of the covenant and the capacity of the people in it. There's fault in both. The covenant can't save. It was intended to diagnose and prepare their hearts for a Messiah, but they misunderstood it, and therefore it failed them in their misunderstanding, and then they failed because they didn't keep it. And so you have in the old covenant this breakdown, fault with the covenant, fault with the people in the covenant. What does he do? This is glorious. Letter A, God's initiative. This is where it gets sweet. 
If you want to go and enjoy this and just soak it up, go read the book of Hosea. Hosea is a picture of the old and the new covenant. Lord comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. And I want your children to be born of prostitution. And so it happens. He marries a prostitute. And she does not have her heart changed. She bears three children. Their names are all representative of God's dealings with Israel. And the woman goes off and leaves Hosea and lives a life of prostitution apart from him until she's finally just used up. And Hosea finds her for sale on an auction block in the middle of his hometown. All those years of embarrassment for this husband. Many of the men in town can acknowledge that they visited her. Embarrassment of embarrassments, his wife is set up on a podium and there's no takers. And the book of Hosea is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Scriptures. The Bible says that Hosea went and got a donkey load of barley, a certain amount of money, and strolled through the eyes of that crowd straight up to his wife on the auction block. And he buys her. Historians tell us that the amount of money he paid was the amount of money that would be paid for a very high quality servant, slave. In other words, he paid full price for a faulty product. But he loved her. And in that moment is the picture of Jesus Christ walking up the hill of Calvary to buy you and me from the auction block of sin. Having prostituted our hearts to every whim of this world. And the Bible says that Hosea packed her up and took her home. God's initiative is that He loves you. And there is no greater picture of it than Jesus walking up Calvary's hill to buy you. No matter what else you have suffered in your life, no matter what else you have experienced, here is the evidence that Jesus walks the hill to the auction block of your soul. And He buys you. And so God's initiative, letter B, the difference in the covenants, I've mentioned it already in the nature. 
What is it? I will make, I will put, I will write, I will be, I will be merciful, I will remember. This is the covenant that wipes away every, every failure, sin, rebellion, wicked act, evil intent of your life ever. And God casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. He moves it as far as the east is from the west. He takes it and forgets it because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so the difference is is that He holds up both ends eternally. Finally, we close the duration of the covenants. One of the things that will be fleshed out in chapters 9 and 10 will be how this covenant is everlasting. How from the moment of the heart change, the moment of the heart surgery, the moment of the transplant, the moment of the stone removed and the heart of flesh put in, the moment the law is written, the Spirit is given, the moment that those things happen on the internal, there will be eternal consequences that this covenant shall never end. It is an everlasting covenant. It can't be broken. God keeps them forever. There's a song we sing. It goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul. This is the blood of the eternal covenant. My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. It is well. With my soul. My brothers and sisters and my friends who are here who are not in Christ. I want to speak to you, brothers and sisters, first, using something that is great to do every time we teach. Daniel, go ahead. We need to go through three parts. Head, heart, and hands. Head, heart, and hands. This is it. What do I understand from this? My brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, there is this glorious joy that God wants you to comprehend because of the truth that you can take into your mind from Hebrews 8. You can read this. You can digest it. And then it can touch 
and warm and secure and and enthrall your heart with a joy that makes your hands labor for the King and the kingdom because of the great joy that is in you. That should be the mark that we leave here with. The joy of this new covenant. Some of you are here. Daniel, pull the diagnostic picture back up. Some of you, you're right here. You're in the diagnostic part. You have understood in your life that there is sin and separation from God. You understand your state. You understand your helpless estate. But here's what you're doing. You're trying to do what the law did. You're trying to live under the old covenant by doing certain things so that you may live. You're practicing morality. You're practicing law things. You're practicing church things. You're practicing a righteousness. Because you think by that, somehow, even with this heart defect, you're going to be sustained and God's going to accept you. Listen carefully. The old covenant is off. It no longer exists. You don't get the option of living under a sacrificial system and doing certain things with a promise of life if they are done by faith. That is all. That's what the last verse of Hebrews 8 says. That that covenant has passed away. So that means right now you're in a very dire situation. Because if you die right now with this diagnosis of the law telling you that you are sinful and separated from God, you will enter eternity separated from God and spend forever in a place, real, eternal torment called hell. And your soul is hanging in the balance today. You've heard the diagnosis, you need the surgery, and you say, Pastor Bart, that's me, what do I do? This part is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Acknowledge the condition. God, I have a sinful, dead heart separated from You. And I deserve Your punishment for that sinful, dead heart. I am a sinner. God... I have heard some good news today that you are a heart transplant specialist, that you can give me a new heart. And this day I repent and I believe. I trust that Jesus is God in human skin. He is the Savior of the world and the King that I should serve. God, save me. I trust you. The Bible says that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you bow with me? Some of you who are here today, that's what you need to do.